by law students for past, present, and future law students bringing you information to help your career this is The Law School Show with Rishi and Chris Chris, my man, what's going on? Ah, thanks for finally asking. Uh, I'm great. It's about time. I thought I might as well. Yeah, very nice. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. We have David Steinberg on the show today. Partner in the entertainment division at Denton's. This guy has a very, very interesting story to share with us. From rock drummer to Bay Street. He used to travel the world as part of a rock band and then decided to become a lawyer. This was an interesting one. David gives us uh, his motivation on that day when he decided to make that stark transition. He talks about what it actually means to be an entertainment lawyer. Talks about marrying your passion with your work. And gives us the reality of the entertainment law market in Canada. Without further ado, here's our discussion with David Steinberg. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I've got David Steinberg on the line. I'm sitting with uh, my man, Rishi Deer. How's everybody doing? Excellent. Looking forward to this interview. Yeah, so many guys, it'll be fun. All right, David. So tell us about yourself without mentioning law. <laughs> without mentioning law. Okay, so I have to go back in the time machine a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in Toronto and uh, was was basically obsessed with music, with rock and roll, um, through my entire youth, into my teenage years, and that's really all I cared about was, was playing music, um, playing drums, writing songs, being in bands. And I did that uh, from a very young age um, and was basically on the road uh, in Canada and the United States when I was 17 years old. Um, so from the age of sort of 17 to 25, 26, um, I was basically a full-time musician, um, never thought about doing anything else in my life and never thought I'd end up doing anything else in my life. Very nice. So I'm assuming that's still a part of your life in some capacity. Yeah, it really is. I mean, not only from the law side, where I'm involved in a lot of things, uh, related to the music industry and, and various recording artists, etc. Um, but I, I still play, and I'm able to play now more than ever because my kids are getting a little bit older, and uh, and I have a little bit more spare time to do it. So it's it's been really uh, it's been really nice to be able to play again, um, and to be able to play a little bit more than I was before. I guess we'll uh, transition a bit into your uh, law side of things now. So if you can. Tell us the story of how you decided to go into law and uh, what has happened since the time you wrote your LSATs to uh, where we are today. Sure. Okay. Okay. So basically, um, around the time that I was finishing up my music career, um, which would have been about 1986, um, I knew I wanted to do something else with my life. I knew I wanted to do something in the professional world. I just didn't know what. So I literally decided to try law school. I said to myself, I'm going to try. I'm going to see if I like it. If I don't like it, I'll leave. Um, but I'm going to go and check it out. So I went to um, Western 
law and uh, enrolled for my first year and began that journey. You were 25, 6 at this point? Yeah, I think I was 20. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think I was 26 when I started. What, what was the moment that you went to yourself, okay, I, I, I can't play drums anymore, I got to do something else? Like, Was that, that a long time coming, or was there a distinct point in time? Um, it's, it's very much like what happens with, um, with an athlete or somebody who's trying to be a professional athlete or has been one. You, you get to the point, and I certainly got to the point, where I thought, this is as far as I'm going to go, and yeah. it's not far enough, and I'm not going to be able to survive this way. In other words, it was fine to be 21 or 22 doing that, but I started to get very concerned that it was not going to be a career that was going to work out for me when I was 41 or 42. Okay. And there was a lot of fear behind it. There was the fact that the music world was changing. There was a lot more computerization. Being a drummer, I was being replaced by machines all the time. Um, <laughs> I had been in bands that had been on independent labels and on major labels, and I was seeing how difficult it was to, to actually make a living. And quite frankly, um, I wanted to have a house and a car and a wife and a family, and, and I didn't see that I would be able to do that if I stayed in music. So when you started law school, did you know that you wanted to get into entertainment law or did you come in with a very open approach? A really open mind because when I left music, my first thought was when I make my career change, I'm not going into the entertainment business. I'm going to do something <laughs> different. <laughs> I wanted to do something totally different. And, and I tried. You know, it was like I took courses in law school that exposed me to all different types of law and different areas. But the problem was when I started to article and I went into my first year as a corporate lawyer, um, anything that was even remotely entertainment based um, was brought to me by the law firm. Yeah. And they would say, you know, he, maybe he'll be able to do it or maybe he knows something about it. And then my friends started calling me and people that I had contacts with. And eventually I just surrendered to the fact that I was going to end up going right back into the entertainment industry, but in a very different capacity. You were typecast from the outset. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't, really, exactly. you didn't really actively rule out other areas of law. It kind of came to you organically. So... Give a piece of advice to someone in law school who's trying to find their path in law. Well, I think open-mindedness is incredibly important. Um, the, the fact is you're, you're not really in the position to decide necessarily what you want to do when you're in law school. Right. You don't know yet enough what it's going to be like on the outside, what the actual practice area is like. So you really have to keep an open mind, and you may be surprised where you end up. In other words, a lot of people will say, I really want to practice in this one area. Then they discover later that they don't really like it, or they don't like the people they're working with who work in that area. And they, and, and they come to the realization that, well, I never saw myself as wanting to be you know, a commercial real estate lawyer. I kind of like this stuff. 
Yeah. So you have you have to keep your mind very very wide open to any possibility. How, how was your uh, law school experience? Um, I really enjoyed it, but it was uh, challenging for me in the sense that I was making a, a wholesale career change. And when you have to basically shut down um, and pack up uh, one career and then go to law school, um, it was it was somewhat strange. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded by all these kids that were younger than me and um, extremely successful academically, um, which I wasn't until I got to undergrad. I, I did very well in undergrad, but in high school, I barely showed up. Yeah. yeah. And watching what the kids have to go through nowadays with high school, it's it's fascinating. You know, my I have a 19 year old son, um, and watching him go through those last few years of high school, they have to take it very very seriously. Yeah, it kind of shapes your I guess rest of your career wherever you want to take it. And the academic, it's, yeah, the academic onus is falling harder and earlier than ever before. I see it too with my younger brothers. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like they're out there taking it very seriously in the eleventh grade and twelfth grade, and it can determine their paths and where they're going to end up going to university. Um, just like undergrad can determine where you're going to go uh, if you're if you're thinking about any post grad work. Yeah. Was there anything you would have done differently in law school with the benefit of retrospect? Yes. the The one thing I think I would have done differently is perhaps integrated myself a little bit more um, socially with what was going on. It wasn't that I was antisocial or didn't have a lot of friends in, in law school. I did, but I didn't attend the law games. I didn't play hockey. I didn't do that stuff. I think because I felt like I was a bit of an outsider, mm -hmm. a little bit older, coming from the music area, you know, it was funny, the September that we started law school, one of my bands had a, a video in medium rotation on much music that was still playing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was really like making a crossover. I mean, I remember sitting in the pub at Western with some friends and the video came on and they said, David, isn't that you? And I said, yeah, 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 it's me. Just look away. <laughs> so... Because I was trying so hard to be a law student. What was, you mentioned that law school was a bit of a test period for you. And I mean, talk about a stark contrast in terms of your career change. So what was the moment when you're going through law school where you're like, okay, I'm going to ride this wave? I think it was really in the second year. Um, I enjoyed the first year. I did well. Um, I made lots of new friends. It, w it was feeling good. But when you're going through a career change like that, you're constantly sort of pulled back. You get phone calls from people giving you opportunities. Um, you know, there are bands that are forming. You're being invited to join them. <laughs> and you have to resist that. It's like resisting a drug. Yeah. And, you know, there were times where I felt, you know what? Yeah, get me out of here. I want to go back and play. <laughs> and and I would have to sort of give my head a shake and go, no, 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 no. stay on the path and, and keep doing what you're doing. It's all working out well. But it's challenging when you're sort of giving up dreams and your um, 
and you're trying to sort of refocus yourself. I remember having a fascinating conversation with a guy that was one year ahead of me at school who had played in the American Hockey League and had been drafted in the NHL okay. and just couldn't get there. He couldn't get there, that last little step taken care of. And he and I had this really interesting discussion one night, and I wasn't close friends with him or anything, but I said, you know, we sort of said to each other, we should sit down and have a beer and talk about our feelings and experience of going through this and having to sort of abandon some dreams and some expectations. And it was fascinating to see how similar um, our experiences really were, you know, given sports and, and entertainment. So I'm assuming no regrets? No, none whatsoever. Good to none hear. Whatsoever. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, so how has your experience been uh, since you started as an associate, I guess, all the way to being a partner? Has, uh, has your responsibilities evolved and the areas that you're looking into? Hey, well, you know, you're, it depends where you practice law. Um, you know, in certain respects, doing what I do, which is um, practicing privately in a, lar in a large law firm, that's one particular experience. And, you know, a lot of us that practice um, in these kinds of law firms on Bay Street, etc., we, we forget that there are many, many different types of lawyers, all shapes and sizes, all throughout the country that do different things. And they're not all in, in law firms like this. So my experience has been all law firm based. I've never worked as an in-house counsel. I've never worked on my own. I've never worked in a small law firm. Yeah. And it changes radically as the years go by, um, as, you, as you go through your associate years and you get more and more responsibility, as you move into partnership, as you become uh, a mid-level and then senior partner, um, and perhaps more involved in the management of the law firms. So the experience changes, but I'm, i got to tell you, I'm really enjoying this period of my career right now. How's that? What is uh, different? I think the, the first thing is, is having the benefit of the experience that you've accumulated. It feels really good. You, know? yeah. you, get, you get to the point where you've been doing something for, for well over 20 years, and you've seen the patterns, and, and you know how to do your job. You know how to do it well. You've learned so much through your own mistakes and through the ability to see others in the, in the industry. And it's really nice to have that accumulated experience. It makes you comfortable in your job. Definitely. So it's probably taken me this long to feel as comfortable at law as I did playing the drums. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can let you know that Rishi and I are on the complete polar opposite end of that spectrum. <laughs> Everything we did this past summer was without confidence, but uh, <laughs> good learning experience nonetheless. So what do you unpack for us what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis? On a day-to-day -day basis, well, the, the thing is the, um, the technology that we now use in our, in our practice and in, and in our lives has, has changed the way we do things. So I'm sorry to say that I, I do live on email. Um, I am one of those people that constantly has a phone in their hands. Okay. Um, 
but I'm I'm careful. I don't cross the street looking at it, and I don't look at it in the car. <laughs> you got to be conscious of that on a day to day basis, though. <laughs> I certainly do. I certainly do. I mean, I call I call the whole thing a horrible beauty. You know, there's something beautiful about having that instant communication with clients and everybody you know, but there's also something terrible about it. Yeah. And you you have to be able to control your behavior. I mean, I can tell you guys that I, I can't remember what year it was, but it must have been the mid '90s, maybe when. Um, so, or maybe later in the 90s when somebody came in to give us a presentation on the BlackBerry. And we were horrified because all of us were sitting in the room thinking, wait a minute, we, we will have no protection. Like the last bit of protection we had was, oh, I have to go to the office to look at my email. Yeah. Well, now it could follow us around, and that was horrific. Yeah, no, it's bittersweet. It comes to it's, it's good that you stay in touch and you always can check but it comes with a cost it really does and and it's it's made our work move all that much faster so you know clients want answers very very quickly they can find you very quickly um, and one of the challenges for young lawyers is while you want to respond to those requests and you want to have good timing and turnaround, you also have to pause and think for a few moments. Because, you know, if you answer too quickly or you jump in too fast, it can be dangerous. You can give people incorrect advice. You can say something in writing that maybe you didn't want to say. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And your generation is built that way. Yeah. You're, you're built, you know, in terms of very fast communication, using short forms, um, you know, the way in which you communicate has to, has to sometimes be modified when you start to work because this is a professional world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're not, you're not writing to clients the same way that you would write to friends. Definitely. Would you, would you say that a lot of your role now is managing those client relationships and managing the work that uh, maybe some of the associates are doing? Yes, definitely. Um, and the way my team is constructed, um, we have senior people that, that do work in our department all the way down to very, very junior. And because our department is small and entertainment law groups tend to be very small, um, because it's not a it's not a ginormous industry. Um, it's a very healthy, good industry in Canada, but it's not so big that you're going to see an entertainment law group grow from five to fifty. It doesn't right. work that way. Um, so because we're small, our our junior associate, for instance, um, who is in her second year, she has an incredible amount of responsibility, and and we give her a lot of latitude because she's very very smart and does a great job, um, and it allows her to build her confidence and, and learn how to, how to properly counsel clients. Um, so that's worked out very well. But yeah, I have to look after those client relationships. I have to juggle a, a ton. I still do paperwork. Uh, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy drafting and negotiating contracts. I'm doing a lot of email communication from day to day. And my biggest challenge is just dealing with the volume that I have to deal with, mm -hmm. which, as you'll find out when you go and practice law, especially if you do private practice, that's a good problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, you know, best and worst thing about your job? Um, the best thing about my job, I think, is is the the daily challenge changes. It's always kind of a new puzzle. So, you, I well, I do a lot of things over and over again. You know, I've done certain types of contracts fifty thousand times in my life. Everything is a new puzzle, a new challenge, new personality that you're dealing with, and I really enjoy that. You don't get bored. The other thing is is there's a certain type of freedom that I have in terms of my hours, when I do my work, how I do my work, um, which I really enjoy. So in other words, it's not somebody sitting there saying, where were you at 9 a.m.? Well, you know what? I was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> because I worked, I worked really late last night, and I'm not coming in until 10:30. So I don't have somebody watching me that way. I have freedom to sort of come and go and do as I please. And who I'm really answering to are my clients. Right. So those those are the best parts. the The worst part, I think, and most lawyers will say this, is it can be stressful at times, and depending on how much pressure you put on yourself, um, that stress can be, you know, at, at certain periods difficult to manage. Mm -hmm. But I think as you get more experienced and as you go through the process, you learn how to manage that stress and tension. You find a way to make it manageable so that it doesn't interfere or negatively impact your overall life. Are there certain strategies that work better for you in terms of managing stress that you have found over the years? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I have these constant sort of reminders for myself. One is to try and pay, to pay attention to one thing at a time, if at all possible. You know, we, we are in a, in a, um, a multitasking world. Yeah. yeah which you guys know a lot more about in a way than I do. When I was growing up, um, we didn't have multitasking. We didn't have email and cell phones coming at you. If you were on the telephone, you were on the telephone. If you were watching TV, you were watching TV. You didn't have a computer and a phone in your hand. <laughs> so I watch my kids, how they behave, and I'm like horrified by it. <laughs> You know, they have the television on, their laptop open, and their phone in their hand. Oh, I know. And and I'm like freaked out by that, you know? It's like, don't you want to just go and play pinball? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably equally freaked out by your behavior sometimes too, David. So, uh, go oh, ahead. no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. Like I'm not allowed in the room depending on who's there. <laughs> but, Really, it's really like that. That kind of stuff is—it's a challenge. I know to sort of cut off the multitasking, but if you can concentrate on the thing that you're doing at the moment you're doing it, that is that is a really helpful thing in terms of stress. So when people are coming at you and saying, "Oh, I need this right now," sorry, I need this right now, um, or mm -hmm. I need this tonight, you know. So you've got too much. You have to have the discipline and the confidence to be able to say, I know I have to do this by noon and I can't take on anything else right now. 
and I have to deal with that thing later. So I'm constantly making lists. I'm making plans as to what I'm going to do. I make sure that everything is scheduled, that all the phone calls I have to return are always always listed. So I find that that organizational yeah. stuff really, really helps manage uh, the stress of the job. Good advice. Yeah. Uh, share with us a mistake you made. A mistake. Um, I think... The one mistake that that will stick out in my mind is when I was a junior lawyer um, doing a a small corporate deal. I had given advice to a client who wanted to take a particular risk that I thought, even in my third-year practice, was a bad risk to take. Hmm. And they insisted that they were going to take this risk that they trusted the other person and that I really shouldn't worry about it and it was going to be fine. Well, I didn't put it in writing. I didn't tell them why I thought it was a bad risk. It was a phone call. And um, lo and behold, the deal went bad. And they came back and said, we don't recall you warning us about this. And... <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you you don't remember the phone call where I used all those expletives and I said, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, so I, I came away from that saying that you have to get a feel for the relationship that you're in with a client and when you need to put things in writing, when you need to be careful and cover yourself. You can't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of, you know, <laughs> pick and choose your spots. It's easy to say, I'm going to put every single thing in writing, but you can't. It doesn't really work that way. Now, there was a nice ending to the story, and the ending to the story was, I, you know, these were paper files. This was before we were doing things by PDF and scanning them and keeping on computers. And I went deep, deep into those paper files, and lo and behold, I found a memo to file. No yeah. way. <laughs> something, something that I had written to myself. And when these guys came in for a meeting, I pulled the memo to file out, and I read it to them. And I said, this is what I had said to you at the time. And, you know, maybe I should have put it in writing to you, but here's what it was. And they actually accepted that, and it mm-hmm. was okay. But you go through moments like that, and it and it's scary when you're a young guy. Absolutely, um, I think I'm just I'm waiting for the moment when I make my first big mistake because it's sort of inevitable, especially in your summer articling junior years. Um, but good learning experiences at the same time, right? You will absolutely make mistakes, and if I can give you two pieces of really really important advice, please on on mistake making. Yeah. Number one, never try and cover it up. Go and talk to the person you're working with and say, I think I may have made an error and here's what it is. Okay. Don't try and cover it up because that inevitably makes it worse. The other piece of advice is when you're doing your job at any level, even at, even at the most entry level, if something smells weird, 
or you're, you know, you're feeling a little bit of an alarm bell going off, go check with somebody as to whether it is weird. Mm-hmm. Because chances are, if something feels funny to you, mm-hmm. it probably is wrong. And you might, as a junior lawyer, have a client say to you, um, I want you to do A, B, and C. And you might be feeling like there's something wrong about that. I can just, I can sense it. Yeah. You want to go to the associate or the partner you're working for and say, look, so-and-so just asked me to do this. I I don't know if it's okay, but it feels funny to me, and I want to check with you. Yeah. I guess never, so never hide anything two, under those the Those are the two things. Yeah. yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Um, how many how many hours do you find yourself working per week? Oh boy, um, I usually get in a little later in the morning because I have to deal with Los Angeles a lot, so I split the difference um, on the time change. Right. So I'm going to say I'm in the office normally. Um, let me just calculate it. Probably about nine and a half hours a day. Okay. Maybe nine hours a day. Sometimes uh, a little bit less than that, but you have to remember it doesn't necessarily mean I'm not answering some emails at home or something like that. Do you, do you find yourself so, opening up your laptop again in the nighttime? Uh, th- sorry, give me that again. Do you find yourself opening up the laptop again in the nighttime? I really try not to. Like once I get home, I try and turn off all the stuff. I might sit with my phone and go through the odd email, but usually I try and close it down a little bit. And when you've got a family, um, you've got a husband or wife, you know what? Um, they want a little bit of attention. <laughs> And, and they don't want you sitting there and answering emails all the time. Um, that is if you want to stay married. That's a choice. That's some free advice, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that one. Keep them coming. So you got to watch that. Yeah. So I think that that fits in a little bit to that um, amorphous term they like to call work-life balance. So what does work-life balance mean to you personally? Um, to me, it means, first of all, not losing control of your life. Um, you can lose control of your life if you are so incredibly single-minded and focused on your career that nothing else matters. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're going to wake up one day and say, uh-oh, I haven't paid attention to anything else, and now I'm in a little bit of trouble here. Um, It takes discipline and it takes confidence. And discipline, I say, because, yeah, you have to sort of figure the stuff out and what works for you and how you're going to navigate it. But confidence is all about the ability to say no once in a while, learning how to say no, um, learning how to push things back if necessary. You know, in a lot of cases... A client or another lawyer may say to you, you know, can I get this done by tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you might not be able to. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, um, I, I want to do it. I'd love to do it. Tomorrow is really tight for me because I have a couple of these other things um, that, are, that are already stacked up. Is there any way I can get that to you on Thursday? And you'll be surprised how many people will go, oh, yeah, no, that's no problem. Yeah. So 
it, a lot of the time it's 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 communication, it's discipline, it's confidence, and it's also your own personal makeup. You know, law tends to attract a lot of A type personalities. Yeah, and. You know, very driven people, very kind of obsessive about things and details. They have to work hard to make sure that it doesn't take them over. And I think your generation is probably better built for that than previous generations. Because previous generations were often brought up on the basis that you work as hard as you're told to work, and you, you know, take your instructions and obey your commanders. Mm-hmm. But your generation's a little bit different. And they don't seem to be coming into law firms saying, I'm going to be dying here one day. <laughs> they seem to be saying, well, I might be here for three years, or I might be here for five years, or two years, or one year. I don't know. You know your generation seems to move around a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and doesn't get so incredibly locked down. You also have, um, and you're going to hear this from older guys, um, an entitlement that other generations don't have. You know, so my friends who didn't get hired back by a law firm, their mummies and daddies weren't calling the law firms to complain. That actually right? happens? Oh. Yeah. You want to know something else, too? This is incredible. When I played (laughs) sports when I was a kid, you're not going to believe this. When I played sports when I was a kid, there was actually a winner and a loser. Yeah. And the loser loser didn't get a trophy. Yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation. But I think it is, it's a weird cultural thing going on right now where the the participation ribbon and everybody's a winner... um, motivation is is rampant it's it is a little bit strange well i had a kid who um at our old firm who didn't get hired back and she came to me and it was one of those conversations that is a game changer you'll never forget the conversation yeah and she was crying and she said to me you need to understand something and i said what she said no one has ever said no to me my whole life wow when, when I played sports, I won a trophy. When something went wrong, my parents interjected and fixed it. When, you know, she just gave me all these examples. She said, this is the first time anybody said no. And you know what it did? It blew the top of her head off. Absolutely. Well, good, good for her for being so frank with you, though, and having that discussion. That was probably a hard fact for her to reveal. Oh, it was amazing. It was yeah. an incredible conversation. So I feel badly for people that aren't prepared for any kind of failure. They come out here, they article, they don't get hired back, and they think it's the end of the world. And it's not the end of the world. People find ways to get through, and nobody should put that much pressure on themselves to think that this is the only chance that you have to make a career for yourself. It's not true. It's good to hear. So what what skills have contributed most toward the success in your own career? Um, I actually attribute a lot to my music career because of the necessity for adaptation. You know, you, you meet so many people of different types, personality types. You have to deal with a lot of craziness. You had to deal with... Um, very, very high highs and very low lows. 
and I think it prepared me for for the roller coaster ride because I was on a roller coaster for so many years, yeah. a psychotic roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that really really did help. But the one thing that does not get addressed too often um, in in the development of a of a lawyer or a law practice is the EIQ situation. Um, I'm finding that as the years go by, that is becoming more and more important in our field um, because it's not enough to just sit at your desk um, and, and draft contracts. A lot of people can do that. It's about your emotional IQ. It's how you relate to people. Can you have a conversation with them? Can you um, give them the feeling that they can trust you and rely upon you so that you can counsel them. Yeah. So I'm finding that uh, a lot of the young people that come through our doors now for articling interviews, etc., a lot of them have these tremendously high EIQs. You can just see it. You can feel it, They, the way they handle themselves, etc., but you have to be able to adapt to all different personality types when you're in this job. Do you, do you find and that there are certain personalities that work in entertainment more so than others? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you're dealing, first of all, with a lot more owner-operators. So it's people that are, that are very, very involved in their companies. There's often... Uh, um, some kind of tangible product that they're producing, whether it be film or music or TV or whatever, and they tend to be extremely passionate about those those properties that they're developing. And they work around the clock, and they can be very frenetic and um, and and sometimes challenging to deal with. But I'll also tell you that they're often incredibly human, and because they're incredibly human um, and have families of their own, um, they're they're very malleable in terms of things like scheduling and working together. You know, there are certain types of practice areas, ter- certain types of companies, etc. If you said, you know, I have to take my kid to a soccer game at five o'clock today, they would not look at, at that kindly. Mm-hmm. Whereas my clients, who I've been with for 15, 20 years plus, I have friendships with them and relationships with them. So if I said I've got to take my son to a soccer game, they go, oh, yeah, no problem. What time? Okay, I'll call me later. Yeah, because yeah. uh, they probably know so your families get, and you know their families. Yeah, I mean, they, they get it, and, and there's just a little bit more of that humanity, I find, as opposed to working for, uh, let's say, a large corporation where you're working for someone in middle management who's being pressed by someone in upper management. Now, that's not meaning to say that it's a walk in the park, because it's not. When we have those deadlines and and they have to be met, it's all hands on deck, and I'm doing what I have to do to get their deals closed. I'm just saying if it's not a burning emergency, um, the people in our industry tend to be um, quite cooperative and flexible. What about certain personality traits? Are there any that are common amongst entertainment lawyers themselves? Um, I don't really think so. Um, I think that there's a 
because we're in a small bar, in other words, it's a, it's, it's not a lot of us in town. Mm-hmm. We all know each other very well. And there's a, there's definitely a friendliness and a camaraderie amongst us. Um, you know, I, for instance, I had a meeting earlier this week um, for a law society conference that we're doing, the entertainment bar. And, you know, I've known these people for many, many years. And we laugh and we, we joke around. We, we're very, very friendly competitors, the way I like to describe it, um, because it's such a small group of us. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the thing that sort of distinguishes us and certain other smaller areas of law is where you have these these people that you see over and over again on deals mm-hmm. you get to know each other really well but i don't think there's any sameness generally amongst the personalities other than they're all fairly um socially capable people i would say that's very common mm-hmm. you don't find a lot of shy entertainment lawyers yeah what 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 is uh, what is your advice for somebody who uh, who's a young lawyer or in, still in school who wants to come into this en- entertainment legal field? Uh, what are certain steps they should be taking early on in their career? Well, I'll give you two answers. Um, one I will one will be more the party line, and the other will be the uh, the brutal honest truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> The party line is is if you're interested in in this area at all, um, you want to you want to make sure that you take contract law courses, um, secure transactions, uh, tax, um, intellectual property, and any kind of finance course. Okay. Those are those are the principles sort of areas that come into play. Um, as far as the brutal honest truth goes. There are probably 25 people that do what I do in the city of Toronto. And in terms of senior people that do what I do, it's incredibly small. But the 25-ish that I'm talking about go all the way from first year up to my level. So it's a very, very small group of people that do this stuff because the industry can only absorb so many. So to the extent that law students are under the impression, let's say, that a an entertainment law department at a large firm grows in the same way that a corporate group would or a litigation group or a labor group, it's just not that way. It doesn't work that way. And our associate um, got in because she was not only incredibly good, but absolutely the right place, the right time, and she was able to thread the needle and come into our department when we needed somebody. But the, it's not like there are lots and lots of jobs in the entertainment law field in Toronto um, or in any other part of our country. If somebody is absolutely obsessed with doing it and they feel that they just have no other choice, they have to do it, they should seriously look at the United States, preferably Los Angeles, just because there are a lot more people that do the stuff down there. The other thing is I think there's a misconception as to what we do and what it's all about, 
and I think there's a lot of false romanticism attached to it. Um, you hear it a lot. Entertainment and sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a sports agent. I want to be a manager. I want to be an entertainment lawyer. In many cases, people that want these things don't know exactly what it is that they want. And they're not really sure what it is we do. Yeah. So then the problem, of course, arises when they see that some of the experiences that we have are kind of cool. And that gets them excited even more. Yeah. But the reality is we're lawyers. We do finance work, licensing work, IP, tax. It's all these areas of law that are under an industry umbrella. Mm-hmm. And... You know, before anybody becomes obsessed with being an entertainment or a sports lawyer, they should do a lot of research as to what the opportunities are and what the practice is really all about. Well, that's part of the reason we're having this discussion with you right now is that uh, we want to make that information a little bit more accessible to people and law students in general. So before we wrap this thing up, David, tell us a story that captures what you love about your job. Oh, boy, I could tell so many. Um, <laughs> you can pick two if you want. <laughs> what I really like, I take a tremendous satisfaction when a project gets finished, when a deal gets closed and my clients are happy and they're excited about their projects. That That's tremendously satisfying. It's also fabulous when the project is something that I'm proud to have been a part of. Mm-hmm. That's also really cool. And and I love that feeling. And the other thing that is very, very satisfying is, is through your counsel, when you can um, make something happen or save something from possibly going south or falling apart, and and it's a big challenge. You've got a lot of people involved. You've got a lot of complexity involved. That's really satisfying when you're able to help and you're able to fix something through your experience and through your counsel. So those would be, those would be the types of things that are my favorite moments. Fantastic. Well, thanks a lot, David. Uh, I think we got some very, very valuable pieces of advice for our listeners and even for ourselves through this interview. Thanks a lot for awesome. taking this time. No problem. And if you need a drummer, just give me a call. I'll come out. (laughs) This is the Law School Show.